Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor people can't help talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and today Steve and I have a great conversation with Heather Ettinger. Now, Heather is the CEO of Luma Wealth, a firm that is absolutely on a mission to not only understand, but to support women's wealth needs. Heather, I think, takes an incredibly thoughtful approach to focusing on women. So you'll find her insights incredibly helpful no matter who you target or who you want to target in your business. And she clears up some myths around whether women can actually be a niche. Heather describes how Luma delivers a client experience that reflects a really deep understanding of their target market. She talks about how she and her team are changing the conversation around money and how all of this can be executed well and consistently. Heather's a real visionary when it comes to building a business, and I know that you'll find this discussion inspiring. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation with Heather. Heather, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Yeah, welcome, Heather. Well, thank you so much, Julie and Steve. I'm a fan of uh, the work that both of you do, and, and Julie, as you know, for years, I kept telling all my advisors, if you go to no other session, go to go to Julie's. So um, huge admirers. Thank you for the work that you guys do. It's really important. Well, thank you so thank much. You. And I know we've, we've wanted to talk to you for a long time, so I, I'm excited. But um, And I have so many questions, as I know Steve does as well. But can you just start by giving us a bit of an introduction to the work that you're doing at Luma? Sure. So what really, I think, sets Luma apart is that we are a community of male and female advisors serving women and their families, no matter what they may look like. So it might be a pank, professional aunt, no kids. It might be a traditional marriage. It may be a same-sex partnership. It may be a widow, divorcee, whatever. But whatever that family looks like, we, we want to be very inclusive. And we serve specific niches and target markets. And then we really are trying to help them manage the life of the family. We all know, and, and we're certainly seeing it with COVID, that the bulk of managing the family life falls on women. So we need to not only look at their financial resources um, in the light of what they need longer term, but also in, in light of what they may need day to day in managing the life of the family. So Pank did not know that was a thing. Thank that's you. yeah, that's new. Thank you for that, first of all. Um, but um, and so you, I know your focus is on women and their families, but uh, but I also know that you you've identified certain uh, subgroups or segments within that. Can you talk a little bit about how you then subdivide and focus on women? Sure. So I think you know, first of all, we we certainly have kind of a target demographic and psychographic, and I hope for your listeners. Um, they pay attention to this because it is really important that we say what type of clients do we work best with. And for us, those are often uh, clients who are in or planning for a transition. They definitely value advice over product. 
They delegate but want to be engaged. And they're really looking for clarity, uh, a sense of philanthropy, gratitude, interested in family stewardship, those types of things. Um, and truthfully, they want a relationship. So it's not a transactional um, uh, relationship only. It's really a continuing education. And so um, in that, currently we focus on widows, divorcees, women of inherited wealth, uh, breadwinner women, where she is either equal to or the lead breadwinner in the family, and then uh, women entrepreneurs and business owners. And those are the five biggest target markets that we serve currently. And so and we all have different language for this. So the, what you just described as target markets, what you initially described was more of the psychographic factors. Are they more uh, uh, factors to assess good fit? And I'm interested in how you actually assess fit on some of those psychographic uh, you, you know, characteristics? It, it, Julie, it's a great question. Um, so yes, to, to answer the first question, it is absolutely about fit. Um, and then the way we assess it is we do a tremendous amount of due diligence up front. Perhaps it's because I've been in this business too long, but I think often in the industry, we're quick to want to capture assets or capture a relationship. And the fact of the matter is, if you run a business, most of us know that if it's um, truly wealth management and financial planning, you're probably losing money the first couple years as you really get up to speed with that client. So it better be a client that you're going to have for a period of time. The second piece for us on FIT is really watching how they engage with our team. And what I want to see is, are they respectful? Are they professional? Are they forthcoming in information? If they aren't, it's going to be really hard for us to add value. And obviously, we, we do this with complete confidentiality, even in the due diligence process. But we do need to know kind of both you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of everything that's going on in the family, because we're going to be much better advisors if we do that. And they're going to get so much more from our team if indeed they do that. The second on the fit that I probably should uh, mention is I did talk in the beginning about men and women. We always use teams on each relationship. So the other thing I'm looking for in due diligence is what's the dynamic? If it's a couple, I want to see what's the importance of not just skill set on my team, but chemistry. And so we want to have make sure we have a good chemistry with a client that everybody at the table feels safe and understood. So Heather, <clears throat> you've sort of touched on this, but there, there's a there, there's uh, confusion, maybe even controversy about the idea of women as a niche. I've been involved in those conversations over time, and I'd like to find out you know your perspective on that. You talk about focusing on women, and you also then sort of described a few different target markets uh, within that group. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, what is different about the way you approach things? What, what's different based on the research that you've done on, on working with women and, and help us understand how you, um, how you define um, 
that as a as more of a niche experience? Absolutely. So, um, love the question. Uh, it's one of my favorites, um, and uh, I think where we see most firms make a mistake is they start a women's initiative. Um, an initiative to me makes it sound like it's a fleeting moment. Um, and we really approach this very differently. First of all, women are not a niche. Um, and so if you took my mother, who's 87, and me, who's in my 50s, and my two adult daughters who were in their 20s, and you take the average of all of us, the one thing I can tell you unequivocally is it's none of us. Um, so, um, and that's what the research showed. So, um, I, I co-authored, uh, the first study, uh, was produced in, uh, 2011 and it's called women of wealth. Why does the financial services industry still not hear them? And we interviewed, uh, over 500 women and showed statistically that you cannot treat, a widow, the same as you treat a breadwinner woman, the same as you treat a divorcee, etc. And so in the study, if anybody's looking for niches, there's some good takeaways for what are some of the key things you need to be thinking about if you are serving some of these, these uh, women. The second huge takeaway from the the first study was that 96% of women said the most important thing you need to do as an advisor is show that you understand what's unique about me and my family. So we're going to have to really do a deep dive. So it starts with the niche, but then it really starts with us understanding what are their pain points, where how can we be empathetic to what they're going through? So right now, a good example would be breadwinner women, which, by the way, was the second study we wrote in 2015. Um, and, the, you know, what that showed was that not only is the industry not meeting expectations of these women, but their companies aren't either. And, um, and actually, there are a lot of family dynamics, uh, particularly with the generation ahead of us, uh, that influence um, their comfort with managing the finances and all. So it's really important to understand what are the pain points and what do you what is unique about that particular woman and her family as well. So Heather, if I could dig into that a little bit because it's really interesting. You know, you make a really powerful point about, you know, women are not a niche and you you name a few different profiles of of different possible clients in there each of which has separate and unique needs. And so uh, why why not just uh, talk about those different profiles and those different kinds of, of markets, what ties them together uh, being women? So if I understand the, the question right, um, if, if you're asking why doesn't Luma just come out and say we serve these specific niches, I think it's because there's going to be an evolution as we bring in additional advisors, as we learn more through the client work that we do, um, we create an experience that really resonates 
with those particular niches. So let me give a, a couple examples. Um, for breadwinner women, where she is managing perhaps um, both the lead career or at least a dual career in the family, as well as typically the life of the family, which is in the second study, um, how much that still falls disproportionately on her. If you were to send her a questionnaire and say, fill this out, you're probably going to be sitting here five years from now waiting for that questionnaire <laughs> to come right. back. It, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I, and then as we, and I'll talk to this a little bit about the LUMA proven process, but as we develop their annual plan, one of the things you'll see with breadwinner women and also with the entrepreneurial women is they say, I want my schedule of meetings for the whole year scheduled with my assistant. Um, what are going to be the topics and on my calendar now? And they, they typically that they're talking in January. So um, whereas that may be a little too intimidating to a widow who's like, you know, I'm not really sure where I'm going to be in July. I don't really want to have that kind of push. So, um, and then the other thing I would say is different advisors are going to resonate with different niches. I resonate, obviously, with some of the business owners because I'm running a business. And particularly during COVID, that's probably been where my biggest focus has been. Um, there are others who have the patience a mile long to deal with widows and when they're going through that grieving process and one of the things that we do is we really sit with them typically in their living room a little hard to do right now but we also go through the mail we do all sorts of things that are just you know really giving them a very personalized hands-on connected experience that shows the empathy we're recognizing um, if it's uh, been a male spouse, what was his date of death? What was, what's his birthday? Making sure we're reaching out on those days um, to let her know that we're thinking about her. So it's a very different type of advisor that's going to have that kind of empathy and, and patience to do those types of things versus the hard charger, um, you know, entrepreneur or breadwinner woman. And I, I, you know, I've, I've always appreciated the, how thoughtful you've been about trying to figure this out because um, I've struggled with this notion, like you said, as women as a niche and even Steve with what you've mentioned of, you know, why isn't it just business owners, but there are differences, right? That's the reality. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, Julie, but I want to jump in because it's not, because I, I, I understand that women, business owners, women, uh, breadwinners, you know, that those are really um, uh, interesting and, and, and unique niches that, that would be different than their male counterparts. What I get, my last question was more like, what, what ties them together as yeah. women? Because they get the set, the differences, but I don't get, uh, you know, what I'm trying to figure out is why not just, you know, why not just do us do a service for women breadwinners and women entrepreneurs and widows? What, what is it that ties them together? But I don't want to get us too far off this. I, I want you to want Julie, to let you pursue that question, but I also wanted to be 
well, clear I, about I, what I was asking. Oh, about. yeah, no, no. And I, I think it's a great question. And that's why I, I, I feel like what the work that Heather's doing is, is so important. And, yeah. you know, I think that you only need to, uh, you know, go to lunch with a group of six women to figure out what the differences are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so maybe Steve, if if we focus a little on the statistics, so you know, the the fact of the matter is most women actually want an advisor, but we know that it's less than twenty five percent that are actually working consistently with an advisor, and that eighty percent leave the meeting feeling misunderstood. Um, and we also know that the way our industry goes about bringing on clients is uh, typically on an AUM fee, uh, which immediately makes it about the money, right? And um, so most women, I would tell you, actually prefer a retainer or really want to understand how is the advice side of the the relationship going to work before they even start talking about the investment side. And then I think, you know, there are a couple other things that we do that I think is is really important and helps uncover some things, not just for us, but also for her and the family. So one of those would be, we really do a pretty deep dive on what's your money journey been? What are the money messages you've received? How has that impacted your relationship with women? We do an exercise every single financial literacy program that we start with these women around that. And so that is a connector amongst groups. And in those programs, we don't necessarily have to have women all of the same background. Um, they actually, it's, it's a richer dialogue if they aren't. Um, and then I think it's, it's really understanding their why, their assessment of where they are today and how that relates to money and their life that then gets us into that richer dialogue. So I, I got into this um, because back in the late 80s, I was working with some women's foundations and I quickly understood that if we educate and empower women around their money, they're the agents of social change. But you have to create a safe environment for them to learn. Um, and I think that's really what we try to do with our, our trademark solutions for women program. We do connective exercises right up front. And as I said, they don't all have to be from, you know, all breadwinners or all business owners, we are happy to connect women from different backgrounds and the sharing can be very rich. If you do that, keep it small and keep it safe. Well, I'd love to, there's a couple of things that you just talked about that I'd love to dig in on. And um, I think that, you know, you're, you're touching in various ways on how the, the whole conversation about money which and maybe life is is changing it and can you describe what you mean when you talk about changing the conversation about money yes thank you julie um and i think this is something that's really important to emphasize so what we're trying to do at luma is focus number one on the why so 
what's what's important to that family? What's their priorities? And you know, quite frankly, um, I think the last couple months have have really helped families perhaps start to have that dialogue in a more meaningful way. The industry treats the what as if it were the money. But the what for her and her family is really about what's important in my life in six different areas. And that would include relationships. That would include job or purpose. That includes community. That includes um, spirituality and um, health and what I call play. And so we go through an exercise that looks at those areas. And typically, they're much more excited to talk about priorities and one, two, three of those as they are to say, well, gee, I want to talk about education funding. It'll come out, but it's coming out in a more constructive and richer discussion. And that's the what to them is what's really behind what's driving the the family's uh, plan and priorities. And then the how happens to be our financial capital, and by the way, human capital. So how is the family organizing around that? And I think that's really critical because we've got to change the way we talk about money. Most of the women come in saying, I'm not sure if I have enough money to work with you. That's because they think the money is, is what we're looking for. I would argue the conversation's got to change. What we're looking for is designing a life plan where the how is connected to their financial capital and human capital, but really much more emphasis on their why and their what. And Heather, if I can, um, I'd love to hear more uh, about something you said before we started recording. You were saying that the whole COVID pandemic may be sort of a tipping point when we really do get an opportunity to change that conversation. I'd, I'd love to hear more about your perspective on that. Well, again, I think um, this has been an opportunity for families to come together and talk about the family budget, what are the priorities, why are the priorities what they are, family giving, uh, perhaps a pivot on family giving. I know our family has has changed uh, where we've been giving and uh, really focused on some different things over over the past number of months. And I think as leaders, um, really the message needs to be, whether it's leaders of our firms or leaders of our family, is we have a plan, you're going to be okay we're going to be okay, and laying that out as to what it looks like. We've got to paint the picture of, and it may be, we can only paint the picture for the next two weeks or the next month, but where where are we? What are going to be the key decision points coming up? And therefore, you know, what are we trying to do um, over time? As a, as a, you know, visionary leader, I have to say, biggest challenge over the past couple months has been, we, you know, we had to take our, our annual plan and, of course, change it. But right now, it's really trying to focus on what are the signals and what's the noise? What can we focus on that's really going to help us determine some best practices right now and some things that can be successful? And 
we are going to revisit those on a much more frequent level than we normally would. So we might try something for a couple of weeks. Is it working? If it's working, let's keep doing it. Let's build it. But if it's not working, let's, you know, let's pivot. And I think families are doing the same thing as, as they look at whether somebody's looking for a job, out of a job, childcare, so many of these different challenges that are facing the family. And, you know, when you talk about these conversations and, you know, related to COVID or not even related, just almost uh, brought to the forefront sometimes by COVID, um, you know, conceptually, it makes perfect sense, right? These are the six areas. This is what we care about. But how have you thought about bringing this to life for advisors within the firm? Is it a process? Is it a structure? I mean, how do you go about that? Yes. So, um, by the way, we're big uh, EOS adopters in our firm and and a a huge fan of that. So it's um, truthfully called the Luma Proven Process. And we talked a little bit about, you know, the assessment of where they are today that includes their money journey. Of course, it's going to include hopes, dreams, aspirations, potential triggers and barriers. So, you know, are there elder care issues that we need to be aware of, things like that, um, and what keeps them up at night. And then we go through these six areas and ask them to prioritize. Now, this is a real pivoting point um, because usually in our industry, this is where we show them a wheel of financial planning, estate planning, charitable gift planning, etc. That's what we do. They don't want to see that. That just like makes them glaze over and go, oh, good God, now now what? <laughs> um, so when they can really look at this other wheel with the six different areas of life, they're like, oh, you know what I forgot to tell you? I am now doing this mindfulness retreat and I really want to build that into my plan. I didn't think about it till I saw spirituality on here. And then, Julie, to your point, we then um, have what we call the developmental journey, and it's their developmental journey. So we're going to slot in there um, three different things. One is going to be what are the key deliverables we're going to have and key meeting times to get those deliverables done, of course. But the two other things are going to be what financial literacy programs do we have coming up? And it can be wellness programs as well as we're doing, ironically, we pick wellness as our theme this year, um, but we're doing a lot around physical and mental wellness as well as um, financial wellness. So what are those programs that are, are most relevant to them? And that's where the niches come in. And then the third is any other major things that are going on for the family. So maybe it's a kid's graduation. Maybe it's the first anniversary of a lost spouse. Whatever it may be, we want to make sure we, we, are, we have those on our calendar that we're aware of them, that, that they know we're aware of it and we're reaching out. So they get this game plan for the year that includes, you know, learn as we say, learn, connect, and celebrate. So it may also have some other connection um, activities that we have with similar, um, with like-minded and like situation women to them as well. So, so the learn, connect, and celebrate, and you mentioned a couple of things, I think the way you acknowledge uh, the passing of a spouse with widows, for example. I mean, I assume 
that's a form of celebration in a way, like celebration of the, the person's life and the, and the relationship. Um, I may be wrong on that, but correct me. Can you, but can you give us some specific examples of, of the learning and the connection and the celebration? Like, what does that look like? Absolutely. So we developed a trademark program called Solutions for Women uh, a number of years ago, and we just keep adding to it. But what's important there is we create connection with the women right on the front end, because most women come in with a lot of baggage. You know, I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda, and uh, we need to diffuse that on the front end so that they can learn. Um, These programs are everything from basic you know, financial planning to, as I said, could be brain health, could be um, around uh, negotiating skills. And so that's the learn. The second is connect. And we connect women with, you know, the traditional resources. So CPAs, estate planners, et cetera. But we're also going to connect them with non-traditional resources. So, you know, for me, I needed to hire a senior care manager to help manage the life of my parents at various points. Maybe I need a kid tested for learning differences, et cetera. So these are really different resources. But if she's running the life of the family, she doesn't have time to go interview, figure this all out. We can help connect her to that quickly. We also connect like-minded and like-situation women. So uh, a really easy example would be what we call luminary leaders, which is our business owners. And what we do there is we create sessions for them without, by the way, um, CPAs, bankers, you know, any other centers of influence. It's all business owners where they can actually let their hair down and talk about the challenges of managing their business with other like situation women. Um, And so we usually highlight one woman, but then that generates a lot of conversation. Um, We also do this, we just did it last week um, for a bunch of executive women across the country who, um, you know, thanks to us now realizing we can do more virtually uh, with clients that aren't in Cleveland, we connected some really senior female leaders across the country um, to have a dialogue on certain issues and areas of interest and quite frankly also have some fun. Um, So we, you know, we really do a lot of connection through that. And then the celebrate, um, you know, that could be a new job, that could be getting an award, that could be, um, but, but we try to really tailor that specifically to that particular person in the family. And let me give you an example of a family where she's the lead breadwinner. Husband uh, is home raising the three kids. We know them well enough to say, we're not sending flowers um, because she really could care less about that. Instead, we called him up and said, how about we either get you a gift certificate for a restaurant. We help with some babysitting. We, you know, so you guys can have a date night. We, you know, we really started trying to tailor a way for them to celebrate that big promotion she got in a way that was specific to that family. So I think that's another thing that we try to build into this. The, every time you talk about your business, I, I want to like be part of these things, which is, is good. Um, but, but it's, it's a way you know, we can wanna... do that, Julie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <I'm Canadian>. um, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so I want to, I, Steve, I don't think this is what you were asking, but I do kind of want to go back to 
um, this whole idea of working with women. And I know that you work with families, right? I mean, with with great women are often great men. <laughs> so um, how, I mean, how do you think about this idea of targeting women and supporting women, but ultimately, of course, uh, making that just as appealing for the men in the families? That is a fabulous question. So I think it really starts, um, and it's very relevant to, of course, where we are today, is really understanding the family dynamic and really, you know, quite frankly, bringing some of the history that I've had um, in terms of how people have treated me over the years just because I'm a woman, assuming, you know, if I go to an advisor conference that my husband is the advisor as opposed to me, um, particularly the ones that are CEO conferences. So, you know, um, so we really do a lot of work around making sure everybody at the table is included in the conversation. Um, so, you know, if he has the trailing career, we want to make sure, or if he's a stay-at-home dad, we want to make sure he feels valued and understood. And that's what comes back to us all the time is, you know, I wasn't quite sure in the beginning, oh my gosh, as much as I love you, my spouse loves you, my kids love you, whoever is at the table. Um, is, and that's really important. And I think here's an interesting nuance. What has also become a target market is, um, we actually call it men who have a healthy relationship and respect for women is the men who know they are going to predecease very good chance. They will predecease their wife and they want her to develop a relationship and a healthy relationship with an advisor now. So it's actually, a, I know it sounds strange, but it is a target for us, um, a target market for us, where we have these men who are like, I really want, by the way, it's not on, only just their spouse, they probably have adult daughters or younger daughters that they are raising to have a voice. Um, and the beauty of it is when we do this work, we end up getting referred up a generation, across a generation, and down a generation. So when you two talk about referrals, that's the beauty of the work that we do because through this inclusivity, it makes people feel really confident. The quote um, I got this week was, we feel like you guys are in it with us as opposed to, excuse me, working for us. That's a big difference. Does that help answer the question, Julie? It does, absolutely. And Yeah. Yeah, ahead, yeah it Julie, does. And, and what a compliment uh, yeah. that is, right? I, you know, what I, what I love about all the stuff you're talking about, Heather, is, is, um, you know, we, we, we try to get away from niche being too much of a sort of flat concept, you know, um, that it's either a business owner or a doctor or, uh, you know, a parent or something like that. And, and the way I, as you speak, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, every client is this big Venn diagram, you know, and there's the part of it that's an entrepreneur and there's a part of it that's a woman and the, there's a part of it that's a mother. And, you know, so you have every every group that you're working with, you know, has all of those different things coming in and you're respecting all those different areas so that, you know, I, it's a it's a it's a much more you said the word before nuanced way of approaching it. I, I, I really 
you know, I really appreciate your the the depth of how you approach this, as opposed to you know just being overly simplistic about a target market or or a niche. But um, but let's let's uh, let's talk about how um, uh, advisors um, outside of Luma might might use some of these concepts. Not not every not all advisory firms have the, the scope of of a Luma. What are some of the ideas that you could share that might help advisors with smaller businesses um, use some of these ideas and, and, and differentiate themselves, you know, cut through some of that noise? Steve, I think that's, that's a great question. And, you know, it actually takes me back kind of to the beginning of my career. Um, when I returned to Cleveland, I had worked um, in Boston and had some success, decided to come back and, and join a business where I had family members in it. And one of the things I quickly had to think about is, well, what am I going to do differently? Like, why would somebody refer to me, Heather, over my dad, Tom, you know, or my brothers, et cetera? And so I think this is where advisors really need to spend some time and say, what are the clients I really connect with? I really feel passionate about. I really know I can help. Um, we have similar experiences. Um, and, and that may change over time. And I'll give you a specific example. I used to think I was pretty good at advising people on dealing with elders until my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And then I realized managing through that, I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, it, was, it was all speak and not much really clear understanding. So, you know, what have you gone through in life or with family or friends that really helps you experience what um, clients might be going through? And so I think, you know, really picking... Um, the type of relationship that you think is is going to work with you and you can really bring value to. Um, I think also, you know, have a plan um, and, and put the stake in the ground. And a lot of people are really nervous to do this. Um, but I would say, you know, the one thing I learned pretty quickly was when we moved to um, really identifying, by the way, the psychographic as well as the niches, we doubled our growth rate. So it's going to resonate with people more if you're clear about who are great clients for you to work with. No matter if you're a $5 billion firm or you're a $50 million firm, people want to know that they're, you know, they're understood and they're cared for and that they they have a voice. And so I think that's um, really, really important in terms of the target. And then the last piece is, what, are you, what problem are you solving for them or problems or challenges? So if you think about Luma, for example, part of the reason we've developed all these strategic partnerships with other resources is we're solving the problem that, A, She's trying to manage all this stuff in the family and has no time. Um, time is her most precious commodity. And B, she doesn't have time for somebody to call her and go, here are three resources you should call and go interview them. She's like, hey, Heather, based on what you know about me, who's the one person I should call that's going to be able to help me? And so I think, you know, that's really important is what are you trying to solve for that niche? And, you know, if it's elder care, 
you know, if you're going, if you're working with widows, what are you doing that's unique to working with that group? If you're working with divorcees, exact same thing. So I think that's really important. You know, with, with our business owners, we have, haven't been shy about bringing in EOS implementers um, as speakers because our business owners need it. Um, and so I think, you know, it's really understanding what do you bring into the table to help that particular niche? Well, uh, I mean, this might sound like an obvious question because all of that sounds like so powerful, but but how, what do you think the impact of all of this is on growth and referrals? So I apologize, what, what all of this, you mean in terms of well, how we grow? Yeah, well, I'm thinking about what you're delivering to your clients, the scope of the experience. Uh, I mean, virtually everything that you've walked us through. Um, how do you think that also helps you grow as well as delivering an extraordinary experience to your clients? Great, great question, Julie. I think what it does most often is, and I, I had... Um, this conversation actually yesterday with somebody who also consults to our business who said to me, our experience with you has been completely different than our four previous advisors. And I said, tell me how. And it was, she could easily articulate it, right? It's your team approach. We both have people we connect with on the team. You know, um, I'm not a huge client, but you never make me feel that way. You make me feel really important. Um, yeah, we knew we had to do a refinance, but what was different is your team came to us with a very proactive strategy that was focused on our particular situation, not call this banker, they'll refi for you. So it's really a lot easier for them to clearly differentiate. You know, other clients will say, and, and I know this to be true, you know, help me, I'm grateful, you help my child, and particularly adult children, particularly right now, I'm indebted to you forever. You have no idea what that meant, that you actually were willing to get on the phone and help my kid through, you know, whatever it is that they may be going through right now. So I think that's, you know, give the clients a chance to refer you. They want to. And if you really differentiate the experience, they're going to be able to articulate it to others, and that's how you're going to become more referable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I knew I could keep you on for days if you gave me half a chance, <laughs> but um, I, I know we've, we've gone over, and I, I just want to um, make sure uh, listeners know how they can learn more about the work that you're doing. Where's the best place for them to go for that? The best place for listeners to go to learn more about Luma is www.lumawealth.com. And uh, be sure to look at some of the resources because the studies that I've co-wrote um, with friends at Family Wealth Advisors Council are on there. A lot of different resources to help manage life. We want to help women, whether they're clients of ours or not, uh, women and their families. So, um would love for them to go visit and see what resources might be helpful. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you, Heather. Thank you. It's been just a delight and uh, obviously a passionate topic for me. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. 
You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.